You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Denny O'Neill, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hey everybody, we're back again with another episode of the Epic Marvel Crossover Podcast. Cast, podcast, socially distanced podcast. <laughs> uh, yep, that's, that's, we're still socially distanced here uh, out in California, and we uh, someday, hopefully, I'll get to see you again, Jim. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting it's going to be sometime in 2023 <laughs> at this point. Yeah, well, uh, who knows? Yeah, with the way that, for some reason, there's still these people that just uh, refuse to do things as simple as wearing a mask, which is not hard to do. I, okay, can I just, just real quick, okay, I am on forums on Facebook and, and like DC Universe and other places, um, you know, where, where people profess their love of superheroes yet refuse to wear a mask. And I'm like, why, nerds? This is our time. Right, <laughs> right. Know? Well, that's, that's one of the funny things is like you've seen on, um, there's been memes going around about like theater marquees, like posting uh, – you know, quote from Batman, I, I wear <laughs> yes. the mask to protect those closest to me. You right, know? right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, anyway, anyway, <laughs> so uh, I'm Will Hoffnick. I am one of your hosts here with the Epic Marvel Crossover Podcast, and with me is my partner, Jim. Hey, I'm Jim Mason, and I'm the guy who loves wearing a mask, actually, so go figure. <laughs> it kind of hugs your face. <laughs> it does, it does. I'll tell you, I've got this cool thing, you know, where people look at me, and he's like, is he a nerd or is he a member of a SWAT team? One of those kind of masks. <laughs> right, right, right. You, you have choices, people. Yep, have uh, choices. yep. We've yeah, I've seen some people at work with those. So, I mean, speaking of masks, uh, well, so yeah, what we do here for those of you who may not have heard this, uh, these special, uh, these uh, special features, is that we like to cover one of the Marvel uh, and intercompany crossovers, usually Marvel and DC or Marvel and image. So, uh, that's kind of what we do here. We, we break it down. We talk a little bit about the creators, the characters, what happens in the story and maybe why it came to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you know, it's, it's funny when we first started this, I was like, you know, it's probably going to be sort of like a limited run podcast, but looking at the depth, you know, you, you put this list together for us to look at, Will, and it is uh, exceptionally deep. Yep. yep. And I don't think we're going to be running out of topics on a monthly basis anytime soon. No, no. In fact, and that's the thing is until, until you look at the compiled list, you, you forget how many there actually were. Right, right, right. And then when you count in other things like, like the amalgam books or – uh, or, or even, you know, one of the ones that struck out to me, which we have not looked at yet are the crossovers with, um, uh, like Marvel and, uh, what's it like the top cow universe. Oh, right. Yeah, there exactly. There was tons of those. And yeah, I, we, I, I didn't remember all that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just a ton of that stuff. I mean, we did, uh, the one, uh, Marvel gen 13, uh, Spider-Man gen 13. Yep. And, uh, when Wildstorm was its 
separate from DC. Yep. Um, so yeah, you know, touching on those Top Cow books, I mean, I, I think we've got plenty of fodder for a long time. Yep. Yep. God, perfect. God help you all. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So for those that, again, who may not have, who, who may not have heard this, uh, we, we drop these episodes about once a month over on um, Curtis Finley's Epic Marvel podcast feed. He's, Which uh, is awesome. Yep. He's great. And uh, he's kind enough to still let us hang out over there. Uh, even though we're, we're, uh, we're a little more, a couple of knuckleheads more than I think that, uh, that deserve to be over there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we could be knuckleheadish sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So what are we here to talk about today? So today, this is, this is actually one that I wanted to talk about because I was left with fond memories of it. Now, granted, I was the one who, who said, I can't wait to do JLA Avengers. And wow, that turned into a slog of a <laughs> of a read and and a show and and uh, thank you all for for humoring me. But I, I remember having the warm and fuzzies about Batman and Captain America, uh, a DC Marvel um, joint that came out. What year did that come out? Was that- this is uh, ninety seven February of nineteen ninety seven? So it yeah. was probably produced in you know late ninety six. Yeah, in fact, the copyright is ninety six on that. So yeah. And uh, it was it was written and drawn and inked by John Byrne with Patricia Mulvihill um, on colors. And um, just real quick, uh, and I don't know what Will Will and I we never we rarely speak. Only in JLA Avengers did Will give me the heads up that that wow that was a hard book for him to consume. <laughs> but but we come at it um, completely dry of each other's opinions. So I'm just going to tip my hat a little bit and say. This one held up a whole lot better than JLA Avengers did. Uh, yep, for me. and yep, just, again, not to bury the lead. Yep, yep. it's. Uh, I, I completely agree. Um, yep. I, I I think that uh, I had maybe this isn't this isn't my favorite crossover that we've done so sure. far, but sure. it's definitely on the on the upper end. Uh, okay. You know, I think that it was a lot of fun. I think it was a. I, th- I think there was a lot going for it. And uh, I mean, one thing that you did not mention when reading the credits there is John Byrne also lettered this. So that, you're he, absolutely 100 percent right on that. Yep. yep. So he did almost everything except for the colors, um, and um, the color yeah. separation. Yep. Which was and, credited to the uh, uh, single named Jameson. Yep. And in fact, there is, again, no editor listed on this. I, I think this is one of those where they just kind of let John Byrne go. Yep. Which is the best way to, to run John Byrne is if he comes to you with the solid idea, just let, don't, don't stand over John Byrne's shoulder because things tend to happen. So with that, I mean, let's, <laughs> yeah, right. <I'm> <laughs> no, yeah. Things do tend to happen. Um, <laughs> JB is definitely a, he's, he's a force. Um, he is an iconoclast, one may say. Yeah, he's a he's a he he is his own thing, right? And yeah. and he'll make sure that you know that. Um, oh yeah. So let I mean, give us a little bit about John Byrne. So like, where I mean, most people know John Byrne at least from like the X Men, right, right? Right. I mean, and then and then what the Fantastic Four run, right? Right, which was his first full writing gig. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe him and Roger Stern, he contributed a lot to the story of, of the uh, Scott Lang Ant-Man in the pages of Marvel premiere. And uh, that was a, a, a two issue book 
that, uh, you know, sort of put Scott Lang, the Ant-Man that we have from feature film and, and recent Marvel comics out there. But I mean, John Byrne, you want to talk about a creator with a storied career. He got a start over at Charleston Comics mm -hmm. uh, doing books like Doomsday Plus One. And that's all I'm going to say is people look up Doomsday Plus One. It was bonkers. Yep. It was a group of astronauts who find themselves in a future blasted Earth with a friend who's a caveman. And it's <laughs> fantastically weird and wonderful. Uh, then he progressed over to Marvel. He did a couple of different joints over there. Uh, he did a few issues of Daredevil. He did uh, some, uh, some Spider-Man team-up, which introduced him to a, a young British uh, fellow by the name of Chris Claremont. Um, he also did work. And, and this is what's crazy is just before or as he was starting up his, his major run on X-Men, X-Men was uncanny. X-Men was a bi-monthly book at the time because the sales were so bad on it. Mm -hmm. So he was able to do issues of the Roger Stern written Avengers book. So you get this classic run on the Avengers, which is like, um, you know, the elements of doom, Scarlet witch and Quicksilver, uh, vision quest. Uh, they're, they're, you know, um, being almost shut down by the U S government. And then the introduction of the character, <laughs> Henry Peter Gyrick, uh, the whole, the whole, uh, kit and caboodle there. He went on to, for that run on uncanny X-Men, which to this day still informs much of my love of comics. Yep. Um, fantastic four, which was his first writing, writing an art gig. Oh, and by the way, real quick, um, the art on Uncanny X-Men to this day, I still believe is some of his best thanks to the ink mastery of Terry Austin. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, you can't mention John Byrne without men mentioning how Terry Austin finished it so perfectly to, to build his name up. But then he went on to do uh, uh, fantastic four, which was an epic run in and of itself. I mean, had gladiator from the Imperial Shiar Imperial guard, throwing the Baxter building into orbit. Uh, you know, he did West coast Avengers did, yep. you know, so many different books at Marvel. Then he rebooted after crisis on infinite earths. He was the guy DC tapped to, to recreate Superman. Mm -hmm. Right. Then modern era, you know, and he worked on, on, on Superman, on Doom Patrol, on a lot of different projects at DC, went over Dark Horse, created the next men yep. over there. Uh, which helped, which helped give us Hellboy. Which helped. Yeah. I mean, pretty much, I mean, Hellboy was sort of like, I think uh, the prologue of a story, which is like a backdoor pilot really for, for Mike Mignola. Oh, he also created at Marvel, this little thing called Alpha Flight. Right. which is also one of the great superhero comics of its day uh, that Mike Mignola also drew for a while. Um, so, yeah, I mean, John Byrne, and then, he, you know, John Byrne had, had really made his name and, and done a lot of things, and, uh, but he was really, like I mentioned earlier in Iconoclast, he was this singular force of nature that was barely controlled by editorial yep. at any company. He eventually made his way, um, was it, idw when they got the star trek license mm -hmm. yeah I, I think i think uh yeah he's done he's done a few things for some some of the independent stuff yeah um, and and he hasn't done a whole lot you know in the i'd say the recent 15 20 years for the major publishers he hasn't no. gone near dc marvel dark horse well uh, I, I i wonder how much is that he doesn't <laughs> go to them or how much they won't deal with him you know what he, that's he fair is, he is known as a, he is a personality as you as you stated he's he's a very forceful personality yep. he's in some cases 
um, many John Byrne fans. I mean, the guy's still around. Yeah. Um, and many John Byrne fans are like, he's kind of one of the cranky old grandpas. Of he really scene. is. He, uh, really- he says things or he does things that are, um, to put it mildly, controversial. <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. we don't need to go into too much of that, no, but no. he's definitely, he has his opinions on things and he has, is very vocal and, and has no problem expressing those opinions. Exactly. And you know what? I, I don't think, I mean, yeah, you can, you can go ahead and quantify or, or qualitatively assess, you know, just how bad John Burns behavior has been in public. I would challenge that and say, you know, look at some of the behavior of guys like Frank Miller or post 9-11. You know, I still think if you look at just the work, he is yep. an artist's artist. Yeah. And he is a complete three-dimensional uh, creator that, no. that, 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 can't, that can barely be surpassed by even some of the people working at the height of their power today. Yeah, no, he's, he's extremely solid. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. he's extremely solid in a certain style that I, I will talk about a little bit as we get into the book here. Um, so let's just let, you know what, let, let me just kind of talk a little bit about the background of this book. Um, sure. So this did come out in the height of the crossover era. Right. Yep. This is the 96, 97 when Marvel and DC reeling from reeling from image, you know, in response to image played nice again and yep. started doing just crossovers and pumping them out left and right. They did the Marvel versus DC series. They did the amalgam books, uh, which came out in multiple waves. Uh, there was just, there was all sorts of Marvel and DC crossover. They, they, they kind of figured out that they can't, they can't just keep going and fighting each other. They're not necessarily always going to be number one and number two anymore. Right. right, right. So, so they had to do some, something, uh, this, this beast is, um, Batman, Captain America. And this actually falls under the, uh, DC Elseworlds line. Yes. Um, so, uh, so Elseworlds is sort of like, I mean, I mean, I've read some Elseworlds stuff, but I'm not hugely read in it. Um, sure. but it's, it's basically like, it, I, I don't want to call it what if, but it's kind of like alternate timeline type story. Yes. Yeah. So basically the way DC looked at, so, so just to compare the two really quick, what if was a very self-contained line of comic books from Marvel where, um, you know, like one of my favorite uh, what if comics was what if daredevil was recruited to be an agent of shield by Frank right. Miller. Right. Um, you know, and it was that simple done in like 20 pages, 22 pages, yeah, and, and it was usually story was told. It was usually like something too, where it was like, "What if a character in a in a famous plot point took a different decision? Like, what if the Fantastic Four never got their powers? Right, by John Byrne, one of the greatest what if stories ever told of the Reed Richards Rocket Group, which was essentially turning them into an unpowered version of the FF." otherwise known as the challengers of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And so they still fought all the menaces, the mole man and Dr. Doom and all that stuff. They just did it without powers. They did it with just scientific know-how. Yep. So, you know, but it was just, like you said, it's just this core concept, 22 pages done. Whereas in Elseworlds, they took a more, and, and, and I'm not trying to sound elitist here, but a more prestige mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, look at these things like uh, Gotham by Gaslight which uh, by Mike, the aforementioned Mike Mignola, you know, which took the, the viewpoint of what if Batman operated in Victorian era America? Right. Right. You know, and, but it's more of, it's more of taking the ideas and playing with the setting or playing with 
playing and, with something that that you know just you know taking what if we took the idea of batman or what if we took the idea of superman and put it in a completely different context right so it was basically what if was we're just going to run with the log line for a movie yep. you know where it was just a simple sentence and that was going to drive the story this one flipped it where the story drove the reason to put it in an elseworlds book mm-hmm. you know um, and there's been plenty of it, you know, what if, uh, uh, Batman was, you know, was chosen to be the green lantern of earth, right. you know, what if Superman was raised by the Waynes, you know, and vice versa, you know, and these were all turned and, and when I said prestige, they literally did this in prestige format, square right. bound books. Right. So, so these yeah, were, they were usually like 60 page or somewhere around there. Oh yeah. Like they put, they invested, they invested time, uh, the creativity, the, the, the printing technology uh, that was available at the time. I mean, they went into making gorgeous looking books. Mm-hmm. And some, some of those books, those Elseworld books like uh, Gotham by Gaslight and also Superman Red Sun, where Superman was um, uh, rocket crashed in the Soviet Union instead right. of the United States, have both been turned into animated DC films. Yep. So, yep. You know, they're easily consumable if you can't find the comics. So, you know, they were just longer form versions of, of, of what if in a way, but they were, I, I, I would, if I were to compare, they were much deeper and they actually went after a, a rich and powerful story as much mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah. So, yeah. A with deeper, a, with, a, with a, a ton concept. of different characters. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, with that being, this book also, with this Elseworlds creation, this book introduces something into the DC universe and the Marvel universe called Earth 3839. Um, so this is the, the, this is the actual world where this book takes place. It's a little different than the normal crossover universe. Um, this, is, this is its own thing separate from that. And what it is, is this was the first appearance of it. Uh, it's created by John Byrne, but they call it, it's, it's, a, it's a reality where Superman and Batman started their careers in the late 1930s and started families that would follow their superhero footsteps all the way to the 30th century, which is what I just read straight online on the database from yep. the description of this. So it's, it's kind of an alternate reality and, and you can, you can see this towards the end of the book uh, and we'll talk about that, but essentially you think of it like Superman actually started in the thirties, but then he grew up, right? Everyone right. aged normally. Yep. So um, and this, by the, and, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so by the, by the sixties, Superman's an old man. Batman's right. an old man. And so they've had, they've had families, they've raised kids, and some of the, the kids have taken up the mantles. Yep. And if you're interested in the further adventures of Earth 3839, you can also check out the John Byrne-created series uh, DC Generations. Yeah, or Superman-Batman Generations. Superman-Batman yep. Generations. Thank you for the correction. Superman-Batman Generations, which tells that very story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's awesome. There are some great twists and turns in that book. It also have, makes a couple appearances in Batman Gotham Knights yes. uh, series. So in a few issues of that. So um, it's a very limited universe. It has not been used much. Um, but that is, it is its own kind of thing. It is, and it is considered an existing universe in the multiverse. So it yep. is there somewhere should someone want to recreate it. 
or, or, or tell new stories within it. Um, and one thing about this, just to kick it off, is in this story, it's, it's not any kind of shenanigans with time travel or nope. warping realities. It's literally in this universe, Captain America also exists. Yep, no fifth dimensional imps. You know, Captain America and Bucky were off in Europe fighting the war, and Batman and Robin were among the heroes that stayed on the home front. Right, and so that, that really leads us to the setting of this book, and, and this book does take place during World War II. So we are in, in a golden age setting. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, so we have, we literally have Captain America get recalled from the war fighting Nazis to come deal with shenanigans in Gotham. With a right. great cameo by Sergeant Rock and his uh, combat happy Joe's of Easy Company. That's true. Yep. Yep. So, and that's really how the story starts is we get a little bit uh, where we learn first about um, that Batman is chasing the Joker. Yep. He, he's, he, the Joker is involved in some kind of heist. Um, they don't really say, I don't believe, but he's being chased by the police and by Batman. And that's, right. that's really how the story opens. And, and let's, let's not you know, talk about burying the lead. Let's not, it's a greatly illustrated uh, car chase. Right. Between the Batman, the cops, and Joker in his Joker mobile. Right. It is so, and, and you, you kind of, and this is, this is a great setup for people who are not used to golden age stories, is to kind of check your, your modern age expectations at the door, because there's some goofy stuff in this. Yes, very much so. Um, yeah. And one thing, one of the things that I, I liked right off the bat is, yeah, you're right. The art is great. I mean, it's, it's solid John Byrne. Yeah. Uh, it's. You know, and the color, I, the coloring, I think, does it justice overall. Um, I don't think it gets in the way or anything. Nope, wasn't um, overly saturated like a lot of the books at the time was. Exactly right. It, it it was it was definitely still digital color, I believe, but I don't think or not. Maybe it wasn't. Digital. No, I think I well, they used digital color separation in there, so I think there was an element to it. Okay, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it wasn't overdone like no, so many yeah. of those books were. It didn't have that bright, glossy quality like JLA Avengers did. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? Um, so, yeah, so it starts off with this car chase. And one thing that you notice right off the bat, too, is that the cars that they're driving, the police cars, the Joker yep. mobile, and the Batmobile, that they, they all kind of have this uh, almost like a, the old Bugatti quality. Yes. kind of shape to it, right? Yep. They're definitely stylized cars. There's nothing modern about this at all. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you could see that these are, like, 1944 Dodges on the street or something, you know? Yeah. This is, I mean, this is, like, the stuff, the kind of cars in the first act of, um, of uh, oh, now I'm blanking on the Jeff Jeff Daniels movie. Um Anyway, the, the guy who made the, the funky car. Anyway, I, I'm sounding like a <laughs> But the, the point that I'm trying to make is this. I was trying to sound smart, but now I'm sounding like a, like a knucklehead. <laughs> Are you talking? Wait, 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 wait. Are you talking about Tucker? Yes, A Man in His Dream. I could yeah. only remember the subtitle to it That's for a, some reason. Jeff Bridges, buddy. Jeff Bridges. Why did I say Jeff Daniels? God. <laughs> I, I need to, like, get my bottle of Insure. Mother, ah. where's my Insure? Uh, it's all good, man. It's all okay. good. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's definitely these old cars. Uh, there's a police chase that's, that's essentially foiled by or, or attempted to be foiled by Joker. I mean, doing 
old hijinks. He's shooting yep. oil from his yep. car. Yep. Right. He's basically doing slick shoes from the Goonies. Yeah, and the cop cars go go all kitty wumpus, but Batman right underneath it. He's got like this giant bat face shield yep. on the on the hood of his car that comes up and reveals that he's got like the street cleaner scrubbers right. that just fold out and he's like cleaning the streets as right right it's totally a shark repellent moment like it's such oh. a specialized item that you really know what he should have never planned to have this and you know what you mentioned shark repellent and that, and that brings me another thought is that i also you know like sometimes i voice cast when i'm i'm listening you know when i'm reading a book and some of the dialogue from this you know it's like don't worry chum we've got this you know stuff like that you know he uses the 1940s lingo yeah. in this it is i mean just the way that they speak to each other is evocative of going if you went back and read those golden age comics i you know with that said i think you're completely correct um but it doesn't feel like in a golden age comic it's in, not dated it's right, not dated right and it's not it, it's not like the big thing to me is the layout it's not laid out like a golden age comic exactly right exactly it, it, not it, it a uses, lot of not a lot of thick white borders or anything like right, that. Right, right. And not just like standard like nine panel or six panel grids, yep. right? Yeah. Um, it, it's much more of a modern layout, um, yep. you know, with little kind of inset boxes and, you know, splash pages and stuff kind of mixed in. Mm -hmm. uh, so it doesn't feel dated. Um, but I got to say, since we talked about the Batmobile here, did, was this an actual Batmobile? Yes. Okay. Because yes. I, I don't remember this design, um, but I love it. Now, what I don't, I, I, I love it too. I don't remember the red stripe on it. I mean, I remember that they used the red stripe in the 50s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I mean, hell, I just love it just for, you know, how it differentiates it from, you know, the, the rest of the background and the other vehicles because of the muted colors that, that the, the, if you want to call it production design of Batman's Gotham City mm -hmm. has. So you can definitely see the car. And it, it, it just adds a certain punch to the, to the design yep. overall. But yes, this, this Batmobile was, was used during that time. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I love it. I love, there's a big giant fin on the back that oh. I'm guessing is supposed to be like evocative of a wing. Yeah. But... It's like, it's like a giant batarang that that's, that's halfway poking out the yeah. back of the car. Oh, it's oh, fantastic. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> it's fantastic. So, so they essentially chase Joker down. Uh, Joker uh, runs himself into a dead end on a pier, and yep. they think they've got him, but of course not. Joker's got a trick up his sleeve, which is like an ejection seat. Yep, and it's like a springy ejector seat, too, and, and a green parachute that will glide him over to the speedboat that was waiting for him. Yep, so. and I, I know I should say, and, and we forgot to mention, we do, Batman does have Robin with him. Yes, Right, yes. so we are dealing with uh, with the duo of Batman and Robin, and then with Captain America, like you mentioned, he does have Bucky with him during this story. Correct. All right. Yeah. So with that said, um, you know, it, it, it does. I actually like this crossover because uh, the Joker's car blows up. Yep. Right. That, and they and, barely get out in the nick of time. <laughs> right. They they dive into the water to escape, but it. it it connects to an explosion in World War II with Captain America. Yep. And it's a nice, it's a nice editorial kind of crossfade there that exactly. I, I think it's done well. Um, and we get Captain America. Um, basically, basically he's, he, they're in World War II somewhere. They're in Germany, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, 
I mean, for you World War II buffs, this is January 1945. How close are they to Berlin at this point? Let us know Yep. (laughs) using the hashtag Epic Crossover. Um, so Captain America jumps out. There's a giant, I love this. this there's a, there's a, there's a giant, some kind of Nazi war machine. It's right. Right. And, and so, okay. Imagine something roughly the size of, I don't know, like if there was three train engines stacked on top of each other, that was all rubber tread and it's I, like this giant tank tread basically with i think guns i think i think you're cutting it short i think it's bigger than that well let's um, say oh you know what i would actually estimate i estimated that wrong i'm i'm thinking between 11 and 12 total cubic railway cars yeah it's, this it's, thing is ginormous it's uh, you know i i liken it to it i think that it's bigger in scale than like a sand crawler from star wars i i think you're right i think you're right but the interesting deep deep cut on this is is that cap refers to it as the as a war wheel mm-hmm. which is uh based off of an enemy a piece of nazi equipment that the dc fighting heroes known as the blackhawk squadron fought which was a huh. giant red spiked wheel with guns on either side of it just a wheel that was about the size of i don't know a, you know a you know, a typical office building. Yeah. And it would just roll over Western Europe and blast and everything in sight. <laughs> so I think this is like an updated ver you know, more more consistent and 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 you know, quote unquote air finger quotes, uh realistic version of the war wheel. Right. And I, I just Oh, and I it's mean, got a giant swastika on it the front. Well, of so course. you know you it's easeful. Yeah, you gotta brand that thing, right? <laughs> yes. Um and and I just got to say, like I said, I love the design of this thing. Yeah. Um, I love machines and comics. Like, I'm a big Kirby fan, right? Yeah. And Kirby tech is one of the great techs in all comics. Yeah. And this, while it doesn't, it's not reminiscent of Kirby, right? It's very much a more modern style than that. Right. It's, it is reminiscent in the sense that it is like a big, weird machine. You don't fully know what it does or how it's designed. It doesn't quite make sense. But it's really cool. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> and and John Byrne is a well-known devotee of Jack Kirby. Yep. So this is, I mean, just a wonderful and, you know, just piece of oh, gorgeous set design right here. Yep. I, wanna, I would love to see this in a movie. So, this is fantastic. So Captain America uh, has to stop this machine. He jumps on the tread. He, he basically, he shoves his shield into, into the, one of the, the, the gears. Yep. Um, and this, I, I did find this a little ridiculous. Uh, he, he, he shoved the shield into the gear and it stopped it from being able to turn and the thing fell over. On its side. Which is just absurd for how big and wide that thing is by the picture. There's no way. But, you know, this is also the introduction of Captain America, so we have to yep. make it completely yep. bombastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a guy whose first appearance, he punched Hitler in the jaw. Oh, yeah. So, you know, why not live up to... to to that kind of uh, expectation set. Yep. I just, I, I, you know, I got to question the physics. I just don't think the physics work on this thing. <laughs> hey, the physics of Earth thirty eight thirty nine is just a little <laughs> different than Earth one. So yeah, yeah, you get you get a different uh, different uh, <laughs> a sense of you know different uh, uh, center of gravity and balance for all items in you know in the whole <laughs> you know the whole conservation of energy thing and yep. you know all that stuff. Yeah, thermodynamic. Yeah, forget about it. It's just what looks cool. So, uh, so to kind of chug along, uh, uh, Captain and Bucky get a letter, a special order to head back 
back to to the U.S. to Gotham City for right. a very secret mission. Yep. So, and Cap's like, "Oh, what? How dare you take me from the battlefield?" But then they're reminded. They remind him, like, "Hey, you know, you got to go where the army tells you you need to go, right?" And that's and that's the 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 uh, Joe Kubert creation, Sergeant Rock, mm-hmm. Joe Kubert and Robert Conninger. So. Yep. You know, one of the preeminent DC war heroes of the time. He was definitely DC's version of Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. And the Howling Commandos, yeah. right. Yep. Um, so we, we shoot back and we're on the plane. There's a plane heading uh, into Gotham with Cap and Bucky. And they, they want to land, but there's another plane taking off at the same time. Yep. Um, and they get told that this plane that's taking off was hijacked. They have to chase it down. Right, and there's the added um, uh, timer that's put on this scene because uh, the plane has just crossed the Atlantic, just made a 20-hour flight over the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's how slow planes were back in the days, kids. And uh, <laughs> they're running on fumes, so they have yep. to get – Cap and Bucky have to deal with this plane immediately. Right. So they decide to chase it down. Uh, Cap, Cap basically just – Ollie oops out the plane to yep. jump onto the other plane. Yep. Um, they try to shoot at Cap, but he eventually uh, uh, he's he's kind of hanging by a wire. When he is about to lose grip, he is saved by Batman, who's just in the neighborhood in his bat plane. Yep, him yep. and Robin. And he he grabs Cap by the hand, and, and of course, because again, these in this universe. They both characters exist and they know each other. I right. mean, they, they've never met, but they know who each other are. Exactly. Right? Exactly. They're, they're not like secrets from one another. No. And, and they're like, Oh, I mean, Captain America is immediately like, Oh, it's the Batman, you know? Um, they, they rescue cap, bring him back onto the bat plane uh, or, or uh, excuse me, use the bat plane, Robin flying it to catch yep. up to the plane that they're chasing while they're both hanging on a rope ladder. Yep. Which is and, so very 1940s movie serials. Right. It, it kills me. I love it. What I love too is this angle. There's this big shot of the plane with them on the ladder, and you can see the scale of the earth below. Yes. I mean, and what I love is you can see lines as if it's a map, <laughs> like like as if they're crossing states or county lines. <laughs> county lines, I'm thinking, but I mean, it's totally Indiana Jones at this Right, moment. right, right. No, they're traveling by map. Like, can, it's absurd. I'm not going to do the music, but you can imagine John Williams's Indiana Jones suite playing right. at this point. You yep. know, it's fantastic. Um, so they they get onto the hijacked plane. Um, yep. They start beating up command. They beat up these guys. They, they make short work of the group of guys on this plane. One page. Right. One page, uh, four panels. They're done. <laughs> yep. Actually, it's two pages of beat-em-ups. Oh, uh, you're right. Yep. Seven panels. My bad. Um, so they, they beat them up. They even do like a little, a little marquee stance of the two together, you know, oh, knocking, yeah. knocking a couple baddies heads together uh, while Batman's like punching a dude and Cap's got a shield up smacking a guy. Yeah. I mean, it's got everything you could want, right? It, out of it's just like, awesome. Yeah. Out of this kind of, you know, Batman, Captain America beat them ups, right? Yep. Yep. Um, then they come to find out that the hijacked plane had Robert Oppenheimer on it. And yep. this was the cargo that they were that this plane was attempting to steal. Um, so Robert Oppenheimer, in real life, of course, is considered the father of the atomic bomb. Exactly. Right? He was one of the main the main scientists involved in the Manhattan Project, which in this Earth they call it the, the Gotham, Gotham Project. Project. Right. So da, da. yep. So you can assume, oh, it's Robert Oppenheimer. It's the Gotham Project. They're building an atomic weapon. 
right? So um, they they get the plane safely back to Earth. Um, they they do interrogation on the henchmen that they beat up, and they all have smiles and laughs, right? Oh yeah, you know, first they're yelling at the Nazis, and then well the. I should say the saboteurs. We shouldn't give anything away or the kidnappers. And then all of a sudden they get these big wide grins on their faces for some reason. And uh, Cap is flummoxed. He's like, what? And then of course, Batman knows right at this point, you know, that these guys for some reason have these experimental dermal patches, which have Joker venom in them. Yep. Causing them to, to laugh their buns off and, and uh, I don't know if it outright kills them or not, but they don't look in very good shape towards when the cops, by the time the cops show up. Yeah, I'm not sure at this point if, if the Joker Venom did kill them um, yeah. or just made them crazy or, you know, temporarily crazy. I'm not totally sure. But the point I, is they're, they're out of their mind. Yeah, you know, and, and the, the faces just, it's got the wide-ass Joker, uh, Joker grin. And, uh, you know, so of course... Cap and Bucky are like, wowzers, you know, holy cow. And, and Robin and Batman is like, just another day at the office sort of looks on their faces. Right, right. Um, and so we, we, we fast forward to Cap in the office of kind of, uh, of a general yep. um, getting his orders. And basically the orders are that the, the brass in the military think that, uh, that Bruce Wayne may be involved with the height with the attempted kidnapping of Robert Oppenheim, who is who is the who is one of the private funders of the Gotham Project, right? And so they think that Bruce Wayne is too clean, that he's got uh, he's too there. There's something shifty. They believe he's grown his family money, but he's done nothing dirty to grow it. You know, unlike all the other industrialists of the time, right? Right. You know, there's things aren't adding up with who this Bruce Wayne cat is, which is actually fairly perceptive right. um, of any sort of government organization, you know, looking at Bruce Wayne during this time. So they, they essentially assign cap uh, as Steve Rogers, as a military, as a soldier, private to, Steve Rogers, right. To basically be a, a, a an assigned bodyguard and attache or a, a handler almost right. Right. For Bruce Wayne. And they, they tell Bruce like, Hey, we, you're part of this project. We need to protect you. We're going to assign this, this bodyguard. Exactly. Exactly. And so you, you, you flip to Wayne Manor um, and Steve is hanging out with Bruce Wayne. He's bored because. Oh, and Bruce Wayne, by the way, when they, when the brass show up, Bruce Wayne is in full Hugh Hefner mode. Right. Right. Silk, silk smoking jacket, pajama pants. Um, you know, just like, okay, fine. You want to sign me a, a bodyguard? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, very, very much like rich playboy, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and uh, Steve is obviously, he, he, he's like, uh, he's, he's bored out of his mind, right? Because yep. all he's doing is sitting and watching Bruce Wayne be a rich guy. Yep. Right? <laughs> yeah, t- taking his girlfriend shopping, playing tennis, going to board meetings, yep. reading the ticker tape of how his stocks are doing, all that stuff. That's all, you know. But then it goes back to Bruce Wayne late one night in his study with Robin, and and he's kind of flummoxed that this guy <laughs> that he can't shake this guy. And, and we should say just just for just for clarification, it is Dick Grayson Robin. Yes, yeah. Right. Again, it's Dick Grayson Robin. You could tell he he was the one that had the split in the middle of his hair before Jason Todd had it. Yep. Um, 
you know, but this is, this is Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson and Dick Grayson wears lots of sweater vests and <laughs> goes golly gee. And we got to do something now, Batman. And, you know, and, and of course Bruce is, you know, you know, just kick back in his leather uh, easy chair and just in his tuxedo, right. just completely flummoxed by this hayseed that just won't leave him alone. So he, yeah. So, so basically they're having a conversation about like, Hey, we need to go find the Joker, right? We right. know the Joker's involved in this. And he's like, yeah, but we got to shake this private that, that won't get off my tail. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and at this time, Steve Rogers is sneaking outside the window and overhears a part of the conversation. And the part that he overhears is that they have, they're saying that they have to get rid of the of private Rogers and and meet an appointment with the Joker. Right. Yes. Exactly. And of course they mean that like, cause they're the heroes and they need to go stop him. But yep. Steve thinks, Oh, maybe the top brass was correct. Like he's exactly. actually involved with this heist and with the Joker. Exactly. So it's a, it's a, it's a, and, and I will say like up to this point again, for, for a crossover, some of these have absurd, uh, absurd premises. I, I think this one works, right? This story makes sense. I mean, um, if, you know, the fact that Cap and, Bat- Cap and Batman, when they first see, see each other, is like, hey, fellow superhero, let's go fight crime. Okay. You know, I mean, it's the, the heroes have no problems with one another. There's no inherent conflict between mm-hmm. the heroes themselves, whereas in their secret identities – therein lies the conflict and right. that, that is a really neat device or, or a neat way that that he that burn kind of turns that trope on its head a little bit exactly and they don't know that each other are who they are exactly right? because so, they have secret identities right and so it's kind of fun it's a fun little it's a fun yep. little play with that kind of conflict as you mentioned yep um so essentially, Bruce Wayne tries to sneak out. Uh, Steve Rogers catches wind of it, and Steve Rogers rides. I love the scene of, of Steve riding on the back of Bruce Wayne's car. Which you could totally do during those days. Right. You know? I mean, it's dangerous as all get out, but the fact of the matter is if you, if you hung low enough, there was enough bumper for, for a regular-sized Joe to kind of hang on to and, and, and crouch on. And, uh, you know, find out where the other guy's going without him seeing you through the back window. Because the, the, the rear window was only about, I think, 12 inches. Wide. Yeah. Yeah, they were definitely small. Uh, so, they essentially, they go to, they go to Wayne Tower, right? Yep. Um, oh, which is probably the best representation of the Wayne building that I've seen yet. I right. mean, just look at the design of it. It's so of the era. And I love the three peaks Mm-hmm. of the three separate mini towers of the top of the building, which spell a W in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. It's just really cool. No, know? it's a, it's a neat design. And, and that is one of the things that I think Byrne is, um, he's showcasing in this series is like, you kind of mentioned it, the set design, his backgrounds are outstanding. Yes. In this, absolutely. In this, in this entire book, he puts a lot of detail. He doesn't, he doesn't skimp on the background. Right now he's no George press. Let's, let's not go crazy. <laughs> you know, so he's not going to draw every single brick that goes into a building, but you get this sense of proportionality. Like you were mentioning yep. earlier, he has such a sense of, of space and the interaction of a character with that space um, that very few illustrators have nowadays. Yep. So we get to Wayne tower. Wayne goes up to the penthouse. Uh, Cap basically has to sneak up right to the penthouse. Yep. Um, and he busts in the window, right? And yeah, because like, he has to crawl the last, he has to climb the last five stories. Right. Because the elevator only went up to the 75th floor. So he had to get up to the 80th. 
So of course he he climbs the outside with n- nothing, right? And just crashes through the window, and and, uh, and you get to ahead. this hilarious panel. I, oh, it's so I find awesome. this this panel hilarious. If you get a scene of Bruce Wayne jumping and doing a jump kick at it's like, Rogers, it's like that movie Jim Cotta. It's it looks like <laughs> such a gymnast move. It's you know like he's on a sawhorse. I, I have and to he's say, just swinging himself over. It's it. so absurd. And yeah. and one of the things about it that that cracks me up is is it showcases that a couple showcases a limitation of John Byrne. And yeah. I, I think that this is John Byrne's dynamics are not strong. Um, no, I, you know, I think that's fair. I think that's fair to a point. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I mean that what's happening, you get it. It's clear, but it doesn't, it doesn't convey action and time and movement the way someone like a Jack Kirby would. Right. 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 Where, yeah. where again, if, if this exact panel of Bruce Wayne kicking in the air and, and Captain America in the front, they would be at different depths. You know, Bruce Wayne's foot would be in a different time zone than Bruce Wayne's face. Right. Right. And, right. That's, and that adds to that where it feels like it's moving, where this right. feels like a static image. Right. Exactly. And I think that's a limitation of this image because, you know, the, in the opening scene and the car chase, I got a real sense of speed mm. and action that was taking place. That's true. But, but unlike Kirby, if you see, like, if you go to the next page from that, he has to use a lot of action lines, which Kirby really rarely, if ever, needed to use. Right, right. You know, and, and Byrne really, and that's the thing, Byrne draws these, these he's just a wonderful cartoonist. He's a great yep. illustrator. But, you know, in, in his panels, you know, to, to maybe look at it from a Will Eisner perspective, tell the tell the story sequentially. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you take out all the thought balloons, which there's tons of thought balloons, right. in here, which are awesome. Take out the thought balloons, take out the word balloons. You know, you, you still get a sense of the action that takes place, the choreography, but there's a lack of dynamism in it that you right. see with, with other illustrators no, uh, of the yep. period. It just, it feels like a series of static images. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and I'm not trying to knock the images no, at all, no. but it's definitely, I, I believe, I mean, at least from this sampling, I, you know, if this was the only burn book that you've ever seen, then you have to believe that that's a weakness of John Byrne. And, right? and also just one other thing that I would trust layer on. And, and I would agree with that. And I do agree with that, that that's a limitation for John Byrne is that he uses panel layout to imply a lot of action. Again, using that Will Eisner mm-hmm. uh, art of sequential storytelling, which is the title of his book on how to make comics that anybody who wants to make comics should read. Yep. Um, it's comics and sequential art. Comics and sequential art? Yep. God, I, I just... I, I think that... I, but he has three of them. My brain must have he, been put into a blender while I Yeah, he has today. three of them. I can't remember what the other two... The, three of the... I think he's got a, three of the textbooks. And, and I, one of them might be what you were saying. The point is, yeah. reads, read Will Eisner if you want to make good comics. But yep. but yes, he, he leans heavily on the panel layout and the panel design versus, um, you know, actually drawing the action in that panel. If you, yep. You see where I'm going with that. Yep. Yeah, um, I'm going to let Brender, Blender Blaine, Blaine re, uh, rest for a little bit while you talk more. <laughs> it's all good. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so they get in beat-em-ups, um, and then they quickly figure out by how good they are at fighting each other. They figure out, like, oh, wait, we're not – these aren't just normal people that we're fighting each other, right? They figure out quickly who they are just from fighting. 
Yes. Right? They figure out, oh, wait, Bruce Wayne, this is Batman, you know, and, and the same Bruce Wayne figures out, oh, this is Captain America. Right? Exactly. Exactly. These are two combat experts. They're, they're masters of their particular fighting styles and they recognize the fighting styles of the other one, other mm-hmm. person, which just shows to their level of, of how awesome these heroes are. Yep. Um, and, and so after they, they try to, really kick the crap out of each other for a few pages uh they shake hands and smile right at the end of it like why didn't i think of that earlier okay and and i have to say that page i think is an excellent layout um lovely with this there's like you see like the way it's laid out you can easily clear you see them coming to their conclusion and then it ends with them shaking hands but then with that reflection of of captain america and batman shaking hands behind them right exactly Exactly. it's it's just a great artistic page yeah yeah, it is. This is, and again, you don't see pages like this anymore. This is this is not modern comics. This is comics from twenty twenty five no, years. It, it's ago. got, it, and that's the thing. Is actually, you know, it, and this, this is a testament to Byrne and some of his decisions. Is it's it's got an Art Deco quality. Yes. Right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Very much feels like a piece of Art Deco art. And the only place that you would see a layout and and design like this is like in a Matt Wagner Grendel comic, right? Like the Hunter yep. Rose series that yep. were were very had those those very Art Deco layouts and designs. Oh my God! You're. I mean, that is a perfect call out. I mean, yeah. especially the Hunter Rose era. Right, and that, that's you know, no, that's exactly what this page reminds me of. It almost, it, I feel like it's something that could be pulled right out of out of like Devil by the Deed or one of those. Yeah, in fact, Matt Wagner employed that same style when he did the Batman Grendel crossover. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that uh, was the well, the first of the two Batman Grendels, right. which was Hunter Rose. So he had like you know the 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 panel layout, like the white borders, actually made an Art Deco image. If you if you look right. far enough away at it, it's like. It was amazing. Um, so and you know what? Before before we get off the topic of Grendel, I just want to give a quick shout out. Um, okay. Some a couple of buddies of mine just started a podcast not long ago, um, and it is called uh, it's called Devil in the Detail, um, ah. and, and it is a YouTube uh, podcast. It's two buddies of mine, Eli Granoff or Ben Granoff and. Um, and uh, Eli Schwab, they're a couple guys that I've worked with on some projects. Um, and they pretty much, they're doing a Grendel reread. And they're recording it live. They've had met Matt Wagner was on the first episode with them. Oh, get um, out. No, no. I That's mean, I, awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually really cool. And they started doing the, the early stuff. So um, just if, if, you guys, if you guys love Grendel, I'm a huge, especially the Hunter Rose oh. era Grendel. Um, oh, yeah. It, I, it's some of my favorite comics ever made. And if, I mean, I've been watching them every episode they've been dropping, uh, but it's called the devil in the detail. Um, and it's on uh, YouTube right now. So, okay. Yeah. Well, this give is that the first I've heard of it. And I know what my next binge watch is going to be. <laughs> yep. Only, I think only about four episodes are out like four or five that they, they've only been doing it for a few weeks. So, um, so, but it, it's early. So give them, give them a, give them a quick listen. Outstanding. We'll do. Um, so to get back to the comic here, uh, we, we flash from there into, uh, basically we, we flash to the Joker, right? Um, and the Joker we come to find is essentially working for someone else, right? But we don't know who. At least not yet, right? Yes. Um, and, and you see that the Joker is essentially the, the, whoever's in charge has offered him money to help steal Oppenheimer or help steal this bomb or something to do with essentially the by, by Yeah, essentially by kidnapping Oppenheimer, he can blackmail the United States for 
the the vast sum of one million dollars. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you totally get a Dr. Evil in that, right? <laughs> one million dollars. <Ta> <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, we they finish their conversation, they hang up on the phone, and you come to find out that the the person in charge here is none other than our our favorite villain, the Red Skull. <laughs> I swear. He's <laughs> he's such a Nazi. <laughs> just, no, you, this is this is the Red Skull. Okay, so back in the day, the Red Skull wasn't like no Hugo Weaving, yeah, Captain. You know, he wasn't like this quiet the building inferno. No, he was just evil. He had a Red Skull. He had a black jumpsuit with a giant chest-sized swastika. Right. right. No, he was all about his branding. Oh and, my God! This guy—he had to have the armband and the chest symbol yeah. to show how Nazi and, he is, and the red skull, right? right. And he's got a red what do they call a rotenschada or something? Yeah. It's just—he's a red skull. No, he's absolutely oh. absurd. And, and in fact, he's—he's he's in the the Golden Age Red Skull is very much kind of—he—he's kind of a Doctor Doom analog. Yep, he's yep. kind of just like an evil smart guy he's smarmy he's arrogant right exactly he's, he's he's not like he's not just he's not calculator and methodical right he's just he's kind of like i'm great and i'm evil and you're gonna For, deal with it right i i am great strictly because i am an adherent to hitler's ideology right that's it right that's it which makes for the perfect villain yep. i mean it just he is evil he is no, he just is, evil. Yep, he is Golden Age Red Skull. Um, and you get, you, so you find out this is Red Skull. They give you a quick introduction. He attacks one of his henchmen. So you see that, oh, yes, this guy is evil. Um, he wants to accelerate the final victory of the fatherland. Right, right. And as we know, if you know anything about history, you know that things weren't going so well for the, for the Ratsies in 45. But nope. he is completely of the mindset of this is just a mere inconvenience. I am here to make this happen for the Fuhrer. I, so, it's just yep. wonderful. So you cut to basically a scene of the Joker again poisoning a group of troops um, uh, with the Joker venom to steal uh, army uniforms right. to 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 get onto the secret base that is housing the Gotham project. Sure. Yeah. Right, or or the what they're calling you know the Fat Boy, right? Fat Boy, which, which was well anyway. We'll get to that. Sure. So. Yeah. so um, <laughs> Then we cut back to a scene of the Batcave. Um, oh my God. Can I say, I, I'm sorry, I have to stop you here. Yeah. I think this is my favorite single page in the entire comic. Oh, Just, it's fun. Oh my gosh. And it is so evocative. And first of all, major kudos to Burn for shouting out Dick Sprang for this because Dick right. Sprang did a single page layout, which was of the Batcave way back in the day. I'm not sure if it was either in detective or if it was in Batman, but that was a very, you know, just straight head on look of what Bruce's Batcave looked like. And it, all the cars and the plane and the boats are in the same places as well as, you know, the giant Joker playing card, the giant Tyrannosaurus Rex model, the whole thing like that. They're all right. in the same places, but he, he tilts it, tilts his perspective so that we get this three dimensional, almost like, um, uh, camera zoom, you know, at this sort of 90 degree downward angle mm -hmm. so that we can see the sheer height to depth of the bat cave. Right. And you can even see the levels all the way down to the yes. bat boat in the river, yep. all the way down at the way down in the hole. 
Yeah, and things that we weren't able to see. And he also credits Dick Sis, and he puts a little drawing box in here, credit box special thanks to Dick Sprang for yep. that, which is yep. a huge shout out. Um, and I, I just I just love, there's so many Easter eggs in this single panel. It's just beautiful to look at. Um, so while they're here in the Batcave, they're trying to figure out what to do, and they get a uh, bat signal yep. from Commissioner Gordon. Right. Um, and instead of Batman going and Robin going, they decide to, to kind of, they, they kind of mix up their sidekicks here and yep. they send Robin with Captain America to yep. go, to go deal with the commissioner and see what he needs. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just cool. And again, this is a, again, one of those ridiculous panels that right. you call right. because it just looks like, I mean, if I was to turn turn uh, the page on its side, it just looked like Cap is sitting there, you know, standing on his tippy toes. Definitely, yeah. Cap, it's supposed to be him like swinging in through the window. Yep. Um, and with his, his, he's he's like flattened out, but it just it doesn't make it. The the lack of that ability to show that movement through yep. dynamics just makes it look awkward. Yeah, right. it, it's another one of those pages which just screams awkward. It reminds me, the thing with both of these scenes that we've talked about with these kind of awkward angles, um, you know what it reminds me of is that awkward scene in The Matrix with near the end when Keanu Reeves does that weird leg thing. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It, it's so absurd. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And you're like, why did they even put that shot in there? You know? and, then you, and then you realize, because he's Neo, and mm -hmm. it's because he's Cap. He could just, hi, I could defy the laws of gravity as long as I'm holding on to something, you know? Right. <laughs> it's it's um, so weird. Um, but again, you know, just great, great looks. Like, he uses the original design for Commissioner Gordon, and Robin looks like Robin. It's, it's... Yep. It's a beautiful looking image, but man, it's, you know, wow. You know, no, no conveyance of motion in that panel whatsoever. So to kind of chug along here, essentially, um, essentially just the commissioner and cap and Robin figure out that, that there was a stolen convoy, um, and where it might be going on the map. Right. Um, yep. Based on where it was stolen from and the direction it was heading, they kind of figure that it's heading towards DC, um, and then we flip to a scene in the Bat Car, right, or the the Batmobile with yep. um, uh, uh, Batman Bat and Bucky, right? Batman and Bucky, right? Yep. Um, and we get scenes of uh, you know Batman turns off all his lights and he's showing off his gizmos, yep. right? Yep. Um, and then they get to a storage unit place where they had they they believed that Joker would be. Um, like an old warehouse, um, and they break in only to be attacked by henchmen, right? Yep. Uh, just a group of henchmen. Um, they go through a couple pages of beat-em-ups, and you, this is where we see uh, Red Skull, um, and Red Skull surprises them with essentially a gas bomb. Um, yep, that we find find out later that knocks him out that right. knocks the, the pair of them out right and they um, wake up <laughs> yep well first later we, first yeah. we go back to cap and robin though. yeah so we kind of split back and forth you know every couple pages here we got cap and robin they're trying to chase down what they think is the red skull um but they end up finding dead army people dead military um and then we flip back um and you get you get Red Skull basically putting Batman and Bucky into an elaborate trap. 
Yes. Right? Yes, <laughs> exactly. And you have to have a death trap. You yep. have, I mean, the Red Skull and Joker both were known for great death traps, so you had to have one in this story. Well, here it is. Right. Um, and you, one thing I noticed was in, in the group of people here, there is a woman. Yep. And she, she makes one of the comments here. I don't know who that's supposed to be. I don't think she, that, or just, I think she's just a, an evil woman. She's just a, a buntist Nazi sympathizer. Yeah. And I just found it odd because she stood out. So it almost felt like I'm supposed to know who this woman is. I, I thought so for a minute too. And, and, you know, again, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not being cheeky about it. If you, if you happen to know if the Red Skull had an associate like this, do hit us up on the hashtag Epic Crossover because I, I'm curious as well. I didn't even think about that. I just thought, oh, okay, female henchman. Yeah. And, you well, know, it just it, seems odd because she's the only like woman almost in the entire book. It's yeah. just one scene of this one woman in tights and a, and a, and a skirt, you know, and high and heels. And a beret and she's, right. you know. And she's and, only in this one shot. Or no, no she, she's in she, one other shot, right? She's she appears earlier in the ser- in 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 the in the issue, and she does appear later also. Okay, okay, yeah. this is the only scene I noticed her at the time. Right, right, and um, I also I love just that the the Red Skull is so evil now. He has gotten more evil. He has added a leather trench coat, right. <laughs> probably from a Gestapo guy who failed him. Yep. And uh, he's smoking a cigarette in a cigarette holder. Right, like one is, of the long, like, Cruella de Vil style. Oh, just, I mean, just dripping with evil. Right. Uh, just, ah, it's wonderful. And uh, so they basically... Um, oh, and by the way, yeah. the jerk that the Red Skull is blows smoke in Bucky's face. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, he's a total dick, right? He's <laughs> a dick. I'm and, sorry. Yeah, and so essentially they escape and they tell him, hey, you guys are trapped in this elaborate plan. Right. right. So they take off, the the building explodes, Skull says it is done, and then we go back to Cap and Robin. Right. Captain Robin are on a motorcycle, on a bat cycle. Yeah, I love um, how Cap just loaned him uh, uh, the bat cycle. Just, yeah, go ahead. Take, <laughs> you know, because Captain America invariably always finds a motorcycle. Wherever he's at, he's, you know, always got, like, yep. the magic power of find a motorbike. Right. It's right. fantastic. And they essentially are driving to a, a secret army base, knowing that that's essentially where Joker would be going to try to get the fat boy and load it onto a plane and escape. Exactly. And we get shots of that. Um, there's a couple pages of Joker breaking in, um, getting hijacking the plane, stealing the quote-unquote package, which is a, you know, a crate, getting it yep. onto the plane. Giant crate. And they, they're met there by Red Skull, right? Yes. So Joker, Red Skull, the bomb. Um, and this is where Joker realizes that Red Skull is a Nazi. Uh, yeah, but first, but first, there's yet another costume change mm-hmm, for the mm-hmm. Red Skull at this point. So he has ditched his, his what I think is stolen via murder Gestapo agent jacket. He has yep. ditched that. He is now wearing an all black, still with the Nazi chest symbol. Yep. But now he's wearing jawed pants. You know, yep. the ones with the flares that like. And the long some, leather boots. And, and, the, and the jack boots. Yep. And he's got a writing crop. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the, the Red Skull is so dramatic in this, in this story. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, my gosh. That is just, it just keeps getting better with this guy. <laughs> oh, it's great. No, I love him. I, I absolutely love I mean, I like 
I like some Red Skull, you know, modern era Red Skull, some oh, Silver yeah. Age. <laughs> you know, but I, this Golden Age Red Skull is amazing. Like, <laughs> oh, he just keeps going. Like, he's got time. He's like, you know what? He's looking in a mirror. He's going, you know, just not evil enough. Right. Let's, hey, Hilda. Or, or, or he Hilda. goes, wait. He goes, he goes, who am I meeting now? Oh, I better get more <laughs> evil for this guy. Yeah. Hilda, fetch, fetch me my Jodhpur pants. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Those are the best. Yavor. Yavor. Yavor That's it. She's his secretary. Yeah. <laughs> he has an evil secretary. So essentially oh what God. happens is Joker realizes Red Skull's a Nazi and Joker is like, I don't, he's like, I may be what? crazy, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all American, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> I may be, the quote is, I'm looking at it right now, the, the quote is, that mask must be cutting off the oxygen to your brain. I may be a criminal lunatic, but I'm an American criminal <laughs> lunatic. <laughs> and, and, and Red Skull returns with, how unfortunate, such, such misplaced patriotism. And then they both say at the same time, and, and now, now you, you die! die. <laughs> and then they, and they shoot each other with each other's venom. Basically, right? So the Joker shoots Red Skull, Red Skull shoots Joker, and they come to find out that neither of their gas works on each other. I mean, I know this will never happen, Will, and I'm sorry to take you off on a little side journey here, but how great would this be as a DC animated project so you could have Mark Hamill doing the voice of Joker and, I don't know, like John <laughs> DiMaggio doing the voice of Red Skull, and these two are just hamming it up to the nth degree. Right. And it's just I can I could just hear it, and that's how well written this book is. Is that it has this such a larger it has this this great larger than life quality to mm -hmm. it that it's just bonkers, and you love it, and, and you check your 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 realism at the door. Yeah, this thing is just bonkers wonderful. Yeah, no, and it's it's just fun. It's yeah. just a lot of fun, right? Yeah, and, and, and I mean comic book fun. Exactly. Um, and so, essentially, Red Skull gets one of his henchmen to knock out the Joker with a wrench. After they um, both, like, the, 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 the skull is laughing and the Joker is coughing, but they find out they're immune to each other's poison, basically. Yep, yep. So the skull gets the, the henchman to knock him out with a crescent wrench. So. And they head out on the plane. They, they bring the knocked-out Joker with them. Big and they're mistake. Gonna, <laughs> and the plan is, essentially, to drop the bomb over DC. Yep. Yep, to nuke uh, DC. Yep, and 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 he even goes on later to talk about how oh we're gonna drop the bomb on DC, and since this is a secret project, American project, none of the Americans know about it, so they're gonna think that Germany did it. Exactly, and, and they're gonna think we have this ultimate super weapon, uh, which will discourage the Americans even more in the war. Yep, and we're going to take the Joker with us, and we're gonna say that he was instrumental. And the victory of the Third Reich over the American forces, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, despite his misplaced patriotism or something like that. It was great. And so uh, they get caught up in the plane by the whole, the whole, our superhero crew in the bat plane. Right. Which should not be able to fly, by the way. Just looking at this thing, it's got like a <laughs> fat, this flat bat, Batman symbol face mask yeah. just on the front of the plane. So it should be aerodynamically impossible for this thing to yeah, fly. This, yeah, it's absurd design, but it looks cool. It looks awesome. <laughs> it's the same kind of shield on the car, on the bat boat, on the bat. It's fantastic. So and all of our heroes are aboard on this. Yep. Sorry. And essentially they decide they're going to try to land on top of the Nazi plane. Yep. And try to cut their way into the, 
the top of the plane. Right. Um, in which case, uh, Red Skull tells his the pilot to, to to gun it, and it disconnects the two planes. So the, right. the, so because, they lose control. Right. Yeah, we find out that the plane they're flying doesn't just have propellers, but in case of emergency, it has jet engines. Right. Right. Because Nazis, and of yep. course. The bat plane had, had had shut off its engines to match speed with this thing, so Robin and Bucky are now falling to their doom in a flat spin in the bat plane. Which yep, is- and and bat and cap jump onto the hijacked plane. Yep, um, and they start doing criminal beat 'em ups. Yep. Um, just like before, replete with stars. Like seriously, like and he a hits bong, bong, and just. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, that's that's the woman right there that he bombs yeah, with the yeah. shield. Yeah, yeah. So that there she does. She does make another appearance here. And yeah. she has a little dagger she tries to attack Cap with. <laughs> with a Cap death just, skull on the top of it, if yep, you look and really Cap close. Just bongs her in the in the head. Um <laughs> and we get so Red Skull escapes into kind of the the, the bomb bay. Yep. Um and he's gonna drop the bomb and, and they and they lock the door and Batman can't get to it. So there's just this little window. So of course, Red Skull then thinks now's the perfect time. As I'm I'm preparing the Bombay to drop Fat Boy, I am going to to soliloquize. So, right. You know, I'm going to wax. Evil. He's gonna monologue. He is monologuing, and there's this great shot of the Red Skull finishing his monologue, just looking maniacally in the little porthole window that's separating the two. And uh, you know, we we've been cracking on Burn for his lack of dynamism. Forget it. Just a bat gloved fist. Yep, through the window, right the window, <laughs> the window, and punches him in the nose. Yep, nope. He gets a, he gets a straight on shot of Red Skull, <laughs> and in turn can can rip the door open. Yep. Um, and they get into the cockpit, and Cap takes control of the plane. Yep. Um, and, and then then we find Joker. Joker has woken up. Yeah, and he's slumber. helping the heroes. Right, because he's an American. So Joker actually goes to release the bomb. Is he? Because I thought I'm going to smash the mechanism that lowers oh, the bomb. Oh, right. For dropping. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. He goes to. You're right. He goes to. Um, goes to break the the mechanism from la- letting the bomb drop. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. they get into. They get in now. Now you have beat 'em ups between Red Skull and Joker. They're full Doctor Strange love at this point, having a fist fight on top on the of bomb. the atomic bomb. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, they essentially both. The, essentially, the bomb gets released. And they both are on the bomb, and they both fall out of the plane with the bomb. Yep. Uh, yep. The, the good news is they, the bomb is over the ocean. Uh, they, did not, they were able to take control of the plane and get it over the Atlantic Ocean, o- away from anywhere where it could do any real damage. Yep. And we get this scene of them trying to escape because they know they dropped the bomb, and you get an awesome single-page splash oh, of, of a, just a huge explosion. Right, with, you could barely, yeah, and you could barely make out the plane, which is drawn mostly in silhouette against mm-hmm. the explosion, and it's just a beautiful image. No, I, yeah, I think it's one of the, it's 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 a really great page. Um, yeah, it's a really great um, one of the great splashes. Again, I, you mentioned the silhouette. I love silhouetted comics. I think yeah. that that they can sometimes provide some of the most interesting detail. And I just think it I, I think it's one of the it's just really beautiful with this weird he he uses these weird different screen tones on yes. that on the atomic explosion uh that produces kind of weird shades and weird colors something that you hadn't this is one thing i like is he's shown multiple explosions throughout this book. Yep. Um they've all looked great. 
but this one definitely looks different. This one was reminiscent to me of some of the later Jim Stranko, um, uh, Nick Fury and Captain America comics that he did, mm-hmm. you know, in using those, those multiple photo tones, like you were mentioning yep. um, to construct an image. Um, that's not something that I've seen Byrne do a lot of. Right. And uh, it's super effective. And that's the page. thing is it doesn't feel like it's very much drawn. It feels like it's almost fully created out of screen tone and color. Exactly. Exactly. And the color separator did a tremendous job on making this look completely mm-hmm. organic. And yeah. you can clearly see there's the, the different layers of screen tone. And he even layers them up at times, right? Exactly. There's, there's some lines going one direction. There's lines going other directions. There's dotted or, or like a gated type tone. Yep. There's, there's a number. And then, then there's just plain. It even looks like zipatone in a couple of right. spots too. Right. You know, it's just so many different techniques used all to construct this, this um, um, what would you say, sort of like a, a cataclysmic image, yep. you know, yep. this. Yeah, you know, which is the culmination of the whole plot. I mean, it's right, right here on this one page. It's wonderful. Just and, wonderful. And they're, so they escape from the explosion. Um, Bat and Cap get a hold of Bucky and Robin, make sure that they got landed safely in the yep. Bat plane. Um, and they're like, and we end with this kind of, this interesting little thing of Captain and, and Batman flying this plane. And uh, they, they hear the explosion on the radio and, and Cap's like, oh, they, they asked him like, what was that? And Cap says, it's the dawn of a new age, Bucky. A wondrous, terrible new age. Yep, yep. And, uh, but at least, and Batman goes, but at least we've seen the last of Joker and the Red Skull. Right. And then Cap turns to him, you don't really believe that, do you? Uh, yep no nope. <laughs> nope. he says no captain i'm afraid i don't <laughs> exactly and then and th- we get to a, an epilogue yeah um and this is where this is where it kind of teaches us about this this world that john burns creating yep um because it's 20 years later so we're now in 1961 or whatever, 1965 1965 yep. and uh cap or, or uh, uh batman and robin find uh, and something frozen in the ice underwater. They're in a in a submarine. And Batman's um, costume has evolved a little bit. You know, he's yep. got larger, pointier ears now, but more of the Silver Age look. He's got the yellow oval on his chest. And for some reason, Robin's got reddish hair. Yeah, it's like a blondish, like a dirty blonde. Yeah. And yeah. and they they peel this iceberg out, and they find that it is Captain America That's frozen right. in the ice. And that you find out at the end of it that, you know, Cap, you know, because Cap's freaking out just like he did in Avengers number four. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Batman pulls his cow back and says, hey, Cap, it's me, Dick Grayson. Remember we met before? Mm-hmm. And the kid, the Robin, is introduced as Bruce Wayne Jr. Right. And right. they meet up, you know, find out Bruce Wayne's retired and, you know, he's wearing terrible pants and a khaki shirt. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Alfred has gotten ancient, but is still serving high tea. And uh, yeah, they welcome him to 1965. Yep. <laughs> and, and, it, and it says, you know, at the end, it ends with this special thanks to rascally Roger Stern for suggesting this epilogue. Yeah. So Which, that's, that's kind of interesting. And that, that creates this world, right? Without this epilogue, th- the world that they talked about with this different, uh, this different Batman and, and growing old doesn't exist. Exactly. 
Exactly. And you know what? It would have been a fine one shot just by itself. Most I definitely. Mean, you know, if, if we're going to our, towards our final thoughts on this, I mean, that ending where it ended with the two of them just flying off, they could have put the end at right. the end of it and next panel credits or the next page credits and you're done. Yep. But by giving us those extra few pages at the end, you know, Byrne was able to establish something. And I thought that was a really neat button to put on the end of this book. Mm-hmm. So all around, I, I mean, like, I, I, again, I didn't bury the lead at all. I love this book. I, I, you know, there's, there's, you know, parts of this book, which makes me really scratch my head even to this day. But I'll tell you what, there's just a love that was put into the creation of this, this title that cannot be denied. No. Yeah. No. And it's, no, I think it's great. Um, I, I, I'll put it like this. Um, I, do I think it's perfect? No. There's no. a little bit of absurdity. Like, I mean, even, you know, comic booky absurdity, but still absurdity. There's a little bit of, you mentioned, you touched on like the, the dialogue. There's a yeah. little bit of that dialogue that felt unnecessary. Yeah. Um, like, you know, you probably could have cut out a, a little bit of the wordiness and made it just flow a little bit better. But to be um, fair, that's always been a criticism of Burns as well. For sure. Is that, you know, especially when, when he was first writing Fantastic Four, I mean, remember who he learned writing from, and that was Chris right. Claremont. Right. So <laughs> this guy could fill a page with word balloons if yep. he wanted to. Yeah, it's definitely not that bad, but it's no, definitely no. enough that there were there were points where I went like, oh, geez, I don't want to, because it was like, it was word bubbles that don't really tell you anything. But I'll right? tell you, no, and you're absolutely correct, you know, and, and you know, one of the reasons why the, the thought balloons and, uh, you know, so much of thought balloons have been gone into narration boxes now mm-hmm. um, because they, they take up so much of the artwork. And, you know, less is more in comics yep. in a lot of ways. Yep. But I'll tell you what, it's also signature burn. And I'll tell you, you know, on the, uh, you know to, to further that point, this is a book that's driven by its plot. And yeah, the, the dialogue gets clunky between the characters sometime. And yeah, some of the drawings are weird. Just how Cap is like, you know, I'm doing, I'm coming through the window. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just looks like I'm just hanging here. Um, but at that point, you know, you know, getting away from that point, this plot, I mean, it is like snapping your fingers to a, to a real hot beat. Yeah. It just keeps going and yeah. going and going. It is like reading. And it, this, I mean, one of the big misses, I think, in the world of comics, uh, uh, comics adaptations, I'm a big fan of Marvel Star Wars comics that, mm-hmm. that get put out. And there's a lot of good and bad in there. But mostly I, I like them a lot. I wish that there would be a great Indiana Jones adaptation and I would give my eye teeth to have John Byrne draw, uh, write and draw it mm-hmm. um, with, you know, after reading this book, because I think he can make Indy come alive on the page. It had such that, that 1940s, you know, um, RKO serial uh, movie serials thing, you know, with like Spice Smasher and Blackhawk and yep. well, Batman and, you know, just, just, you know, all the secret agent stuff just, you know, where every chapter had a, had a cliffhanger. There's multiple cliffhangers in this book. And, and I think they all paid off. I I mean, this, this is a plot that, that really drove the story and I just loved it. I I could read books like this all day long. No, and that's it. It was a very easy to read comic book. It was very, it's, it's, it's inviting. 
It's fun. Um, the story is solid. Like you said, the, the storytelling aspect of how, how it moves in rhythm, how it flows together, all works. It yep. works well. Yep. Um, you know, the, 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 like we said, there's a couple criticisms about some of the sure. wording. There's a couple criticisms about a little bit of the, the paneling and the art. But overall, I think, I mean, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing like a five-star scale, is it five stars? No. But is it a solid four? yeah oh easy, yeah right yep. easy. um yeah and so uh yeah so that's awesome and it was a lot of fun to read um so let's talk a little bit now about what we're going to look at next time okay um, so next time so all right so 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 this was our 10th episode our next one will be our 11th episode um and i wanted to do something a little weird and a little a little different um we've done a number of Marvel DCs. We've done Marvel and image a couple of times. Um, I want to do something completely new. Okay. I want to do, I want to bring us into the world of Riverdale and that's Archie, right? (laughs) I'm going to a meme. That's over 10 years old right now. (laughs) So, so, with that, we're going to come to one of the weirdest crossovers ever made. Um, is talk about bonkers. Oh my God. Now, now this was a crossover that came out in the early nineties back when they weren't doing many crossovers. They especially weren't doing crossovers with DC, but they did this one, which is the Punisher meets Archie. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and this isn't like, like the, the, the current like Riverdale kind of cool hip, you know, emo pop Archie. Nope. No, this is full golden age Archie Andrews and his pals. This is this is Stan Goldberg. Yep. This is uh this is Bat and Lash, right? This yep. is this is full on Archie, right? And what would it, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It was a one shot, but I think it's like a I think it's like a sixty page or, or fifty page one shot. So it's it's got a little bit of bulk to it. Um, it came out in in the early '90s. I want to say it was like '92 or '93, somewhere around there. You got um, me on that, uh, yeah. but I'll tell you what it is. Uh, I, I I just remember this one being, and I'll be honest, I was not kind to this book. I didn't buy it. Um, I have since read it, and I I I'm not going to tell you what I think about it. We'll tell you on the next episode. But I I'm of a different opinion now than when I first saw the book. Let's, awesome. Let's that. That's my tease. I'm so I haven't read it since since it like came out since I was a kid. Um, I'm mostly curious about like how well does it hold up the idea of there being a vigilante with guns in a high school setting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that holds up very well in modern era, but I'm I'm really curious to see. You know, <laughs> exactly. I I can't wait to read the book again. It, it's been a long time. Yep. So uh, I'm so looking that, forward to it. With that, Jim, why don't uh, why don't you tell the the good fine listeners where they can find you? Hey, everybody! I love to talk comics, and I I I you know hate to talk things like lockout or lockdown and and politics. Although I, I I do find myself doing that, but mostly I'd love to talk about comics and sci-fi and and just nerdy goodness. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm I'm pretty much in the process of abandoning Facebook 
at this point. So hit me up on Twitter at Jimmers with three M's and uh, my bio there will show you where my Instagram is. Cause I'm tired of telling the story on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yep. And with me, you can, you can also find me on Twitter talking comics, mostly sometimes other stuff um, over at golden boy photo one, a hundred percent comics. Uh, that's what uh, I, I talk. I, I post a lot of pages. I, I like to talk uh, uh, creators and, and pages I find yep. interesting. So um, feel free to hit us up over there. And if you use that, that hashtag epic crossover, like we've talked about, you can let us know if what you think of the episode, what you think of this book, or if you, there's a particular Marvel intercompany crossover that, that you, you live and die by and you want to, you want to talk about, let us know and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll fit it in somewhere, right? We'll make sure it's on the list. We'll find a place for it. Yep. So with that, we just want to, I want to thank Curtis and the Epic Marvel podcast again for having us back on and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see you again soon. Yeah, Curtis, thank you. And if we've done anything that you would like us to correct, please let us know because we're so easy to work with, aren't we, Will? Yeah, yeah. you know what? we got to get him on the show sometime. You dude. know what? That would be a gas to have Curtis on the show. <laughs> Curtis, come on the show. Talk about your favorite crossover. Yep, yep. Make we'll us to... read something you like. Yep, we'll have to, we'll have to do that at some point. So. The gauntlet is thrown, sir. <laughs> well, I just heard him on the, on the movie podcast that they do also. On the, he, he joined the guys over there with the, uh, the epic Marvel, the Marvel movie podcast, whatever. One of the other special ones on okay. the feed. Okay. Um, I forget what they call, but they do, what they do is they talk about a movie and they talk about the, com the Marvel comic adaptation of that movie. Gotcha. And gotcha. so that, that's a lot of fun. And they were on there recently talking uh, the Transformers, the movie. Oh, And the wow. comic adaptation. So, so that, you, that's a lot you, of fun. Do you know if they've done Dune yet? They, 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 I believe they did do Dune. I, okay. I think I remember hearing that. I uh, must they have also, missed that. Yeah, they did. Um, I think they did Labyrinth. Um, they've done a number of them. They, they, they started a couple months before we did, um, with, with Curtis in the feed. So gotcha. I, I, I don't remember all what they've done, but they've done, Oh, they did last starfighter. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. I love so that it's, movie. it's a lot of fun over there. I love those movie adaptations. So yeah. it's fun to listen to those because, uh, you know, I love film and I love the, the com the Marvel comic adaptation. So, you know, I, I just, I hate to tell you this, but the last time I was at San Diego comic-con, I actually saw an original framed page of Bill Sienkiewicz's art mm, for Dune. Mm, that's good. Let's just say the price was in five figure range. Oh, yeah. So I was not allowed to buy it. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I will say that's one of, it's one of my favorite Sienkiewicz pieces is, is that Dune book. I think it's oh, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, there's um, different opinions on the movie, yep. but holy, he did the Lord's work on that comic book. It yeah. was Oh, and he, oh. I mean, that was a point he was firing on all cylinders. He was just hitting that stride of, of the early end of the height of his powers, right? Yep. Like yep. where he was just starting to really experiment and do a lot of interesting and fun things. And it's just, it's, it's it absolutely was, gorgeous. It was like the, the, you could see the early sort of stray toasters vibe starting. Sure in those comics and wow we need to go on their show too <laughs> invite us on we love to talk comics guys all anyway right. anyway well, okay i'm gonna stop inviting myself on the podcast <laughs> all right well with that why don't you go ahead and send us out jim okay kids this is important we have all the time in the world right now so read say it with me say it with me i know you could do it read, read more, more comics, comics.